Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program of information on the ever-changing world of accessibility. Now here are the hosts of this program, Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy. Hello, I'm Nancy. And I'm Pete. In a previous episode of Eyes on Success, we talked about a program to train guide dogs to go running with their handlers. Today, we'll speak with Thomas Panic, president and CEO of Guiding Eyes for the Blind, who is himself their test case, and he's been running with guide dogs and testing out this program ever since its inception. Well, this spring, Thomas and a set of three guide dogs completed the New York City Half Marathon with no humans available as fallback for the guiding process. But first for a tip of the week, this week's tip comes from Thomas Panic. You know, for me, it's all about having uh, health and well-being options, staying mobile, staying active, um, you know, having the ability to go out your door and walk or if you want to run or jog or you know, go a little bit faster with your guide dog, having that option. But I think, I think that's what it's all about. I had a boy, 13-year-old, Matthew, and his coach said, you got to stop at the 40 yard line on the track. And I'm kind of thinking, well, why? And I'm thinking to myself, that's probably where the turn is, you know? So just letting people know that you don't have to stop at the 40 yard line, go around the turn and you know what, go around the track a hundred times or a thousand times, you know, whatever it is that you want to put your mind to. And and also, you know, teach cross country coaches. It was a cross country coach in New Hampshire that sent me a, uh, a desire for his cross country team to uh, to receive uh, as an accomplishment for them a photo of Gus finishing the race, just to tell them that you know, not everybody runs the same. But uh, as you go through life, we all develop challenges, uh, and you know we just got to keep on one step at a time, putting one foot in front of the next. Support for Eyes on Success is provided by Ira an app that remotely connects people who are blind or have low vision to trained agents for access to visual information. Details are available at 1-800-835-1934. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Let's start by meeting Thomas and his guide dog. So, Thomas, you've been on the show before, but can you reintroduce yourself? Sure. So, my name is Thomas Panic, and I am president and CEO of Guiding Eyes for the Blind in Yorktown Heights, New York. And what does Guiding Eyes for the Blind do? Well, we provide guide dogs to people with vision loss, uh, both people who are blind and have other challenges in addition to blindness. Uh, we have almost a thousand working guide dog users, uh, handlers out there that are living every day with their dog that provides them with uh, independence, mobility, and a four-legged friend. We also uh, pride ourselves in being there for our community. Um, not only puppy raisers who volunteer their time to raise a guide dog, but also for the graduates. So we do quite a lot of follow-up work within our organization and uh, very proud that we're also uh, helping the world community with uh, breeding and genetics. And you yourself, being blind, have had a guide dog for some time, I take it. Yes. So I've had a guide dog since I was 26 years old. So 
It's been about a quarter century. I have RP, so I've lost my vision over time and have found that I'm not a great cane traveler. It's not a skill that I was able to hone and develop as well as others can. And uh, I really relied on a guide dog for my personal mobility. Many of our guests who have guide dogs like to introduce them. Who is your guide dog? I have guide dog Gus. Gus is semi-retired. He is the dog that officially finished the New York Half Marathon with me. And I'm in the process of applying for my next guide dog. And um, he's been with me for five years. He's a yellow Labrador, about 68 pounds. That's his target weight. And best way I can describe Gus is he's got a pink nose. And when he's happy, his wiggle starts all the way at the nose and ends up at the tail and his entire body wiggles. Support for Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Find out more about partnership opportunities by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Thomas's experiences running long distances, being guided only by a guide dog without human backup. Last time we talked with you, we did one episode about reasons one might want to have a guide dog and how to make that decision. And we also did a second episode about how you were starting sort of a new program teaching guide dogs to run. Can you tell us how that program has progressed to have your dog run with the person who wants to run? Sure. Well, first and foremost, the dogs are trained as a guide dog. And then we look to select the guide dogs that enjoy running. We're looking for the ones that are a little bit more energetic. And so it's really designated to be a way to stay fit, a way to keep the dog and the individual meeting their health and wellness goals. It could be anything from wanting to take a slow walk jog in your local park to running a 5K race. Uh, So the program has evolved a lot. Uh, We have had a immeasurable number of people reach out to us, parents, um, children, as well as guide dog users, wanting to get more familiar with the program. And uh, right now we've had about 48 applications for the program. We have uh, more than two dozen people out there successfully, graduates of the running guide program. We've designed a new harness, which I'm very excited about. We launched uh, called the Unifly Harness. And the program has been incredibly successful, more successful than I ever dreamed. As you may have seen, uh, because of our adventure, which I hope we'll have a chance to talk about, uh, it really um, got onto the world stage and was recognized as one of those uh, very unique things that uh, we're able to do with uh, these amazing creatures that uh, humankind has been uh, benefiting from for centuries. You mentioned that you have a new custom-designed harness. What's special about it? Uh, We designed a really wonderful harness called the Unifly Harness, also in partnership with Roughwear, and it's a harness that's available to uh, all guide dog schools. And it has a very easy-to-click on-and-off handle. It's made like, if I can describe it as a 
a very comfortable running clothes for the dog. It goes around their body. And on top is essentially if anybody has skied uh, or done, uh, you know, Ski for Light or any other programs out there, uh, you snap the handle in just like you would a ski boot. It has one central pole and then it's a, almost like a ski pole connected to the back of the dog. And then I'm holding on to that ski pole with my hand. Um, the handle itself was 3D printed, and it allows me to have a good grip on the handle as I'm running along. So you personally have been running with a guide dog for several years, but just a couple of months ago, you did a very special run. Can you describe that? In partnership with the New York Roadrunners, we decided that what we would do is prepare ourselves for the iconic New York Half Marathon. It's a 13.1 miles starting in Brooklyn's Prospect Park. It goes over the Manhattan Bridge through Times Square and ends in Central Park in Manhattan. And uh, it's a complex course. Uh, there's bridges, 20,000 other runners, uh, obviously water stops, and you know, you're running through the streets of New York. So this is where the dream, you know, came to reality. So tell us how you prepared for that event. We started out small with the running guide program. Uh, we started in a local park, which was about a mile loop when we were originally proving the concept to be safe. And, you know, we started with figuring out we had the traditional leather harness, uh, what could be more comfortable with the dog and slowly over a uh, you know, since 2015, really, we started to, I would say, push the limits on what conventionally people would allow us to do. And, and so a lot of it was educating the public about the fact that the dog will have no problem in a race following everybody. It's a lot easier than navigating the New York subway. Uh, you're all going in the same direction. The route is pretty well marked for the other runners. And, you know, you're in a pretty wide, clear path. And that's almost like easy for a guide dog. The challenge was getting other people to understand that the dog could get the work done. So, you know, like anything, uh, when you're dealing with educating the general public about a disability, we had to tell them that, you know, the dog is capable of doing this and prove it. I'm sure many of our listeners have had to deal with people doubting either their or their guide dog's abilities. How did you manage to convince the race organizers to let you do this? So we started with a 5K race. I did a 5K race in Boston, uh, and the race officials let me try that. And then I did a five-miler in New York Central Park with Gus. And then we did a lot of work with the New York Roadrunners, a wonderful partner of ours. New York Roadrunners is the organization that organizes the New York Marathon. This is where the dream, you know, came to reality. We started to think about this adventure. We were a little bit nervous, had our butterflies in our stomach, but I had a great team. I had three other people on my team helping me prepare. Uh, it was a cold winter, so we had some incredibly cold days where we actually trained on an indoor uh, circular track, the New York Armory, and that was a lot of fun. We spent a lot of time training the marathon route, Central Park, Prospect Park. Um, Jolene Hollister, who is on staff with Guiding Us for the Blind and a running guide person that helped start the program, Ben Cauley, also a trainer, our admissions and graduate relations director. And then Nick Speranza, who's actually a ultra runner himself, retired New York City homicide detective with the New York Police Department. Uh, he volunteered to help train uh, with me. 
for the race and help train the dogs. So we selected four dogs, um, all Labradors, and started training them to have the capability and also the desire and the endurance to run up to five miles each uh, in that environment. So it's around horse and buggies in Central Park and all kinds of distractions, including hot dog stands and just getting them ready for the race day. After all of this preparation, how did the race go? We got to race day and we started out for the first five miles with a black lab, a wonderful black lab named Wesley. He helped navigate through Prospect Park. We had a great start. I was really worried at one point during the race, there was a U-turn and uh, we had to train a U-turn a lot. Dogs aren't animals like horses. They're not really into (laughs) U-turns. It's not really a natural thing to go around a cone and come back the other way. Yeah, that does sound unusual, right? But I knew that U-turn was coming when I heard the elite athletes coming towards me and that, uh, that it was coming up. So we, we practiced that uh, a little bit together. Wesley did the U-turn, came back. And the first relay point was at the five-mile mark. And Wesley's sister, you know, we have about 170 dogs, but I'll tell you that Wesley and his sister Waffle were two of our picks because these two Labradors love to run. She's like a spring. She just kept springing up, and uh, she had so much energy. So this was after five miles, you switched dogs. Yeah, because, you know, in all fairness to the dogs, we hydrated them. We got them ready. They did their five, pat them on the head, said, good boy. And then it was time for his sister to take over. We wanted to make sure that the, the dogs were not overly exerted, that they were comfortable, they wore booties, that they were hydrated. They wore booties so they didn't wear out their pads, huh? Exactly. So I thought, and I think a lot of guide dog users can relate to this, when you put the booties on, they do that little Scooby-Doo dance and they throw their legs around. And uh, But actually, it made them more comfortable. The dogs ran faster with the booties. It's like you trying to run, you know, without your shoes and then a nice pair of cushy running shoes. So Roughwear, a company out of Portland, Oregon, uh, helped us fit these booties uh, custom made for the dogs and are available, of course, for anybody. So you had presumably part of your team hanging out at each of the relay points so that they could help you release the one dog and get the other one into position? Yes. So at mile five, I had uh, Ben and Jolene at the relay point and they had Waffle ready to go and booted up and hydrated and uh, she was in position. I memorized uh, more or less where the relay point would be. We, we, we visited it beforehand and I knew it was right before the Manhattan bridge. There's a little bit of an elevation change there, but it's hard after five miles to know exactly, you know, within that 10 feet where she's going to be. So one of the great things was the dogs know each other. So Wesley went and found his sister and then the team allowed me to change from uh, Wesley to Waffle, had her ready and then kept, uh, kept Wesley, of course. And then I went uh, over the Manhattan bridge and, you know, kind of started going into that second five miles of the race. I would imagine that going across the bridge would be a little bit of a pinch point and the race course was still pretty crowded at that point. It was very crowded and the bridge is, a, it's, it's for cars. It's, it's not really a pedestrian way. And a lot of it had to do with trusting the dog. You know, he had, apparently there were guardrails on the side and <laughs> You know, you don't want to go into the river. So um, just getting crunched up with other people and 
you know, trusting that she is going to continue to navigate around any slower runners uh, was something that, you know, obviously we're watching closely. But at that point, uh, any bridge and anybody who's run a bridge understands that it's a pretty significant uphill climb until you get to the apex and then you go down the other side. And at that point, you know, people run a lot faster. So I know that at that point in time, we were running about a 717, seven, uh, seven minutes, 17 uh, second mile. And That's a pretty good clip. It's a pretty good clip. So, and there was another U-turn at the end of the bridge. And uh, as we were flying along, uh, we were going down the other side of the bridge and she kind of stayed a little bit straight. And I'm thinking, is it you coming? Is you coming? And then all of a sudden she stopped. She jumped up, said, I did it. She was so excited to get over the bridge, gave her a good pat on the head stopped for a moment, and then we got back into traffic, made that U-turn, and continued it on our way. Uh, And now we were in Manhattan. You can imagine the city just gets busier as you go along. So I used to run races like that, Mm -hmm. and I always thought the most difficult part was at the beginning when all the runners were crunched up before the starting line. Did that present any particular difficulty, especially with a dog? There certainly was a benefit to having... The New York Roadrunners, ABC News, uh, CBS, NBC, uh, ABC was covering the race. Uh, The dogs had GoPro cameras on. So people had seen the story the morning of the race and sort of knew what was going on. So I really had the benefit of, you know, having people within the race understanding that this was a guide dog that was running. And they were a little bit more respectful of your space. Yeah. Yeah. I've had, I've had like you, I've had situations where, you know, the elbows are being thrown and yes, and people are, are not that kind. They're all there for their own race. Yeah. Jockeying for position. Yeah. Jockeying for position. But, but in this case, because this was the first guide dog to run in a New York city uh, long distance race, uh, there was a little bit more courtesy. Did you start the race with your pace group or were you positioned somewhere? I did. I started in wave one and uh, that was my pace group. You know, for the most part, these long distance races, everything kind of goes to the wayside as people move on, people slow down, people speed up. But for the most part, you know, we were in pace with our run group, which really helps uh, minimizing the amount of passing and uh, other things you do. What is the thing that most concerned you during the race, if anything? The most dangerous thing is someone stopping immediately. And uh, certainly that happened quite a bit as I, as I was running, uh, maybe we'll be at a water stop or something. And then the dog would immediately jump over and you really have to trust your dog that the second that they make that move, it's like dancing. You've got to, you've got to follow that footstep uh, or, or just get get yourself into a lot of trouble. That's kind of interesting because especially in these long races, you tend to kind of get in the zone where you're not really thinking about instantaneous things happening like that. You have to be on your toes all the time, I guess. Yeah, you really do. And I think that, um, that was part of the challenge is, you know, you have a visual cues from a sighted runner telling you, you know, this is what's coming up. But, you know, I did have a very high sense of safety and security from the dog because a lot of um, people that use volunteers to guide, you know, you have a tether and you have a lot of verbal cues going on. And that's, a, a you know, how I ran 20 marathons, including, you know, five Bostons and Yorks and everything. And I, I've done that. But what's different about running with a guide dog is that you're always feeling where that guide dog is. You know exactly where you are relative to that guide dog because you're connected by the harness. So, And that's how I travel during the day. So I did get a really comfortable feeling of, hey, this is just like 
being out in any given day and being with my guide dog. So from that perspective, I think anybody who's a guide dog user understands that we're, we're always paying attention to the dog as we're traveling, whether it's through the subway or, you know, just down the sidewalk. It's something that almost becomes second nature. Of course, when you're doing it at a running pace, you do have to pay a little bit more attention. I like to say, you know, to people who are drivers, it's sort of like leaving the side street and going on the highway. You just, you got to pay attention. Were there any other memorable parts to the race? The best part of the race for me, uh, of course, other than finishing, uh, there were some other guide runners just by coincidence that had guided me over the years. Uh, Megan from the Richfield Running Company showed up and a few other, Mike from the marathon that had guided me in the marathon a few years ago. And so here they are passing me by or I'm passing them by and they're saying, hey, Thomas, you know, <laughs> this is great. You know, um, I'm not guiding you, but you have your guide today. And you know, the running is a, you know, is a community of people that decide to get up at the crack of dawn and, you know, do something extraordinary and prepare for it. And this was just another, you know, way to participate fully in that activity. So I thought that was really great. Anything else memorable that you'd like to tell us about the race? When we got to mile 10, um, it was very emotional for me, very, very emotional because now, you know, we're getting there and it was time to switch to my guide, Doug Gus, who's, you know, been with me for five years and takes care of me every day. And so you got to finish the race with Gus and celebrate the uh, event. Yeah. So Gus, uh, having run that race previously through Central Park, by the time we got to mile 10, Gus picked up the harness. And at that point, it was like a walk in the park or run in the park (laughs) because it was really uh, something that we had done before. And it was just putting all those pieces together, uh, which is what made it successful. You know, we sort of took this one step at a time. There were some puppy raisers. Oh, my gosh. Gutting Eyes can't do what we do without the volunteer puppy raisers. And Gus had his own cheering squad there of, of puppies that were uh, on program uh, looking to, you know, follow in his footsteps, literally uh, one day, you know, help someone who's blind as a guide dog. And uh, we had a chance to stop and, you know, spend a minute or two just saying hi to those other puppies. And Well, it must have been quite a celebration when you came across the finish line. Well, it really was. But, you know, the, the funny thing about it is, you know, I, I, you would expect, you know, when you're running someone cheering your name, you know. Nobody was cheering mine, which is fine. They were cheering Gus. It's all Gus. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, you know, that's a real achievement for the dog as well as for the person. Well, I think that's very well said. It really was an achievement for the dogs. And when we got to the finish line and, you know, one of the funniest things about the race is I didn't really know when I finished because the dog's not going to say he just went over the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> so that one we didn't really practice. Did he actually stop at the end? <laughs> he did. I mean, you know, before we got to the subway, he did stop. But um, no, he uh, he slowed down. And, and there was a lot of weaving at the end, runners that were kind of at their max and started walking. I felt that we we're getting close. And then I could hear the announcer, you know, announcing people coming across. And How funny. Uh, fishing shoot is very narrow. And I've had a bad experience in a finishing shoot once before where just before the finish line, my guide runner wanted me to finish first and he stepped back and he said, okay, go. And I went and I smacked right into the cameraman and broke two ribs and his camera. And I rolled over the finish line. Oh, <laughs> ouch. So I know. And, uh, you know, straight to the medical tent. And, you know, the next day I called the cameraman and I said, Hey, are you okay? And he said, Oh, I gave me an excuse to buy a new camera. I said, did you get the shot? <laughs> he said, no. So, um, so it can go wrong. 
Well, I hope the finish of this race went a whole lot more smoothly than that other one. Yeah, Gus got through that finishing shoot, and at the end, the race organizer gave him a finisher's medal as the first dog to get a finisher's medal in an event. And and then I, what happened was really unbelievable. The um, you know the story was trending, and people were learning about it, and then it went viral. And uh, within a week, every major news station. Uh, and print media from Time Magazine to the New York Times to overseas, BBC, you know, that were covering this this accomplishment. And I sort of wondered why. I mean, you know, there were a lot of guide dog users out there who were doing phenomenal things every day. And, and, and I asked myself that question, you know, why were people following the story so closely? And I think the answer is fairly simple. People love dogs. Um, you know, people are really fascinated with um, what it would be like to, you know, live and learn and earn a living, you know, visually impaired or blind and being able to put those two things together and say, okay, well here, you know, this guide dog ran this race and we were able to, to accomplish this. It just uh, was very well received and very, very proud of the getting ice team that, you know, had faith in me and the dogs to, to make it happen. And it was a dream come true uh, to be able to do something like this. And, you know, kind of show other people that not only are blind athletes or, or people that aspire to run very capable, um, but, you know, don't, don't lower your expectations. We can do anything anybody else puts their mind to. And in this case, I just happened to put my mind to getting this done and, uh, and it happened. So. so it sounds like this spark of an idea you had several years ago and that you've been working on ever since has really had a pretty good ending and has been pretty successful. Yeah. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, 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 success. Now for this week's final item, how to learn more about guiding eyes for the blind and how to contact them. So if people would like to find out more about guiding eyes or get a dog or even a running dog, where would you send them? Well, if you would uh, be interested in applying for a guide dog or if you'd like to get a running dog or, you know, our next project is to make them fly, but I'm still working on that. <laughs> you can uh, go to our website, guidingeyes.org, G-U-I-D-I-N-G-E-Y-E-S.org. And you'll have an opportunity to uh, click on apply for a guide dog and get the application going. Uh, you can also visit us on Facebook, Instagram, and all the other social media platforms, but that really is the best way to get a hold of us and not only to uh, apply, but also learn about uh, what working with a guide dog is all about. We're really here to support anyone who is uh, legally blind to be able to achieve independence through the use of a guide dog. And we will put links in our show notes to the two previous episodes where we talked with you about more of the details about obtaining a guide dog, why one might want a guide dog, and also about running with a guide dog. Mm -hmm. Is there a phone number or an email if people would prefer to do that? Yes, you can email president at guidingeyes.org. And as usual, you can find all that contact information at www.eyesonsuccess.net if you look for the show notes for this episode. That's it for show number 1931. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be speaking with Jason Struther, a visually impaired freelance journalist. 
After reporting from South Korea for many years, his interests have recently turned to stories about how people with disabilities are impacted by climate change. We will talk with Jason about what accommodations he has made in his career and some interesting experiences that he has had. And in the show notes that Pete mentioned, we will have a link to a piece that Jason recently had broadcast on the BBC World Service Radio about Thomas's experience running the New York City Half Marathon with the guide dogs. If you have any questions regarding something you've heard about on the show, or you'd like to share an idea for a future show, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. Browse the full archive of programs, find instructions for subscribing to the podcasts, and much more at www.eyesonsuccess.net. You can also find us on iTunes and follow us on Facebook at Eyes on Success or Twitter at underscore Eyes on Success. We hope you will join us again next week for more information and updates on products for accessible living. Thanks for listening to Eyes on Success and have a nice day.